Hey guys, before we get started, I gotta tell you what's on my mind, and we're gonna talk about the George Lopez uh, drama right now, because it is something that is on a lot of people's minds. I've already talked about it, everyone's talking about it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay, let me catch you up. So, George Lopez has a podcast, and one of the most recent podcasts he made, he was talking about whether Latinos should help other Latinos. He had a guest on the show who is Latino, was like, hey, we should help as older Latino comedians, as older people in this industry, we should help the younger generation get their foot in the door. Just because the door is open for us doesn't mean we should shut up behind us. Now, I think, and I hope a lot of you guys listening agree with that, that if the door is open, if we open the door, we should help other people. Just like if someone opens the door, we would want them to keep that door open for us, right? It was my big feelings on the Black Panther, what kind of forever feeling, you know, where Ryan Coogler, who's not even Latino, he opened that door for African-Americans and then he kept it open for Latinos. And it's something that I cherish him for. I'm sure a lot of people do. The problem and the controversy comes that George Lopez doesn't agree. Now, if you follow George Lopez for a while, this shouldn't really surprise you. He is old-fashioned. He is conservative. He is very much of the old Latino machismo mindset of, I got here on my own. I pulled myself up by my own boots. Everyone should do that. You know, it's it's the simple way of saying, I I had to suffer and you have to suffer too. Which, eh, that's not, <laughs> like, that's not what we should be doing. This idea and mentality that we go, well, I had to go through this thing and it was awful, so you should too, because that's going to make you stronger. As if that's at all true. doesn't make you stronger. As we can see with George, it made him more angry and bitter about the world. So this idea that younger generations or even other people, regardless of their age, if they're trying to do what you're doing, you shouldn't shut the door on them. You should try to help them. And George, of course, he, he doesn't care about that stuff. I heavily disagree with that. And the controversy only got worse because the other guests on the show, he he mentioned a young up-and-coming Latino comedian. And George is like, I've never heard of the guy. I don't give a damn about that guy. So who cares about that guy? And it looked bad because not only does George like saying, hey, we don't care about, I don't care about helping other Latinos. He's condemning someone who's trying to make it. We should always be trying to help each other, regardless of what community you're in, whether it's comedians, whether it's entertainment, whether you're Latinos, whether you're uh, any race, any culture, any background. You should be always trying to help the people that are, have been where you've been, that are trying to get to where you're going to. And this idea that you can't like, I get it. It's an old school mentality. And sometimes it's true when there's when there's a standing room ovation of like you standing there and everyone surrounding you, you feel like there's this platform I'm on and no one else can be up here because if they're on here, I'm getting pushed off. And I get that mentality. And sometimes like I get it. It's true. That's that's the whole point of like tokenism, right? If there's one black character, one Latino in a movie. Why do we need more? You know, that old school mentality, which if you have more Latinos, they're going to likely get rid of a Latino. And I get, I get it. I don't agree with it, though. And I think it's a really old school mindset, especially for all of the Latino men where machismo is always, you know, con huevos. It's this idea that you need to be tough and hide your pain and hide your suffering and you need to do it alone and no one should help you. Except even with the case of George Lopez, that's not true. He didn't do it by himself. If it wasn't for Sandra Bullock producing his George Lopez show, he wouldn't have got it made. He wouldn't have got as famous as he did. And she went as so far as appearing in the show to get a bigger audience for his show. So, like, yes, he made an amazing show. It went on. It did big numbers. But this idea that he did it all by himself, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like, I really, really can't stress enough that 
going forward with this, regardless of your age, regardless of your history, regardless of your background, we should be looking out for each other. Latinos, especially, we need to look out for each other. We're the biggest minority. We're absolutely enormous when it comes to our buying power, when it comes to everything that we could and should be doing. And yet we always have this mentality of, ah, don't rock the boat. It's not a big deal. Put your head down. And it's this really bad problem we have with being Latinos. We just we don't want to rock the boat. Don't say anything. Don't cause problems. Put your head down. Suffer silently, right? But I'm here to tell you, don't do that. Don't. We don't have to do that anymore. We can talk to each other. Like we we can get therapists, and we shouldn't be making fun of each other for getting therapists, right? We can, we should be doing things that make us better, that make us stronger, and we shouldn't be ashamed of it. Because I know that's the Latino thing to be ashamed of looking weak. But I can tell you, and I can tell George Lopez, don't. That's not. That's not true. We are united. We should be proud of who we are. We should be okay with everything that's good and bad about us. And we should be united going forward. That was on my mind. I just had to get off that off my chest before we uh, got started. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Storytime Guy with Matthew Torres, a weekly discussion about the most important events in the world of pop and geek culture. Movies, TV, anime, comics, this is your one-stop shop for all the stories that take your imagination to highs, sometimes lows, but always to a place worth discussing. I'm Matthew Torres, and thank you for joining me. It's February 16th, and today on the show, my producer Carlos and I are going to head over to the Quantum Realm to see if Paul Rudd actually ages over there. Then, I'll let you know what to binge this weekend. There's some good stuff that's going to keep you happy. And then, as always, we head to the vault for something that I'm sure is going to make you scream. I'm Matthew Torres, and this is the Storytime Guy Podcast. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania opens nationwide tomorrow, so here's everything you need to know to catch up. Ant-Man has had a few titles, a few changes. He started off as a guy named Hank Pym. He created the Pym particles that can shrink and grow. But eventually he got old, he retired, and he gave his new mantle, his suit and everything to Scott Lang, who you know and love and is portrayed by Paul Rudd. So Paul Rudd is a little sillier. He's still a smart guy. I feel like people don't give him enough credit for being a smart guy, but he's still a smart guy. He's just not a super genius that can create the Pym particles. So he ends up, you know, doing a few things here and there. He's kind of like the comedic relief of the group, and yet he's extremely powerful. And I think that's kind of the funny bit, that you have this guy that can shrink as small as an ant, hit people super hard, and yet he can grow to the size of a building, right? So you have him with these cool powers, but he's a silly guy. He doesn't really take anything too serious. And he ends up getting stuck in the quantum realm, eventually getting out and help saving the entire universe and contributing to time travel. What an adventure in a life that man has lived. Then there's the Wasp, who is the daughter of the original Ant-Man, Hank Pym. It's Hope Van Dyne. And she does, she, uh, as you can tell by the last name, she's not the biggest fan of her father. We'll discuss that more later. But she ends up being the, the more capable one, the more confident one. She's also a lot less emotional than uh, Scott Lang, where Scott Lang is the more funny, like really trusting, very human person. Hope is the opposite. She's a very, very kind of secluded, emotionally, physically person. And therefore, obviously, opposites track, they fall in love and they create a super duo team of Ant-Man and the Wasp, which eventually leads us to our current movie, Ant-Man and the Wasp's Quantum Mania. What a title, what a name, what a story those characters have had that involve all sorts of wacky shenanigans. Joining me to discuss Ant-Man is my producer, Carlos. What's up, Carlos? Hey, how we doing today? Doing good. There's a lot to talk about. Um, and the more we talk about it, I start to think, wow, this guy has lived a life. He has had some crazy experiences. When you think Ant-Man, you don't think of like wacky time shenanigans and stuff. But here we are. You know, it's incredible that in like the comic books, 
he was just solving mysteries. He would just go and, and do these simple little tasks. Yeah. And somehow in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, he's become an Avenger who was absolutely critical in defeating Thanos and creating time travel. It's amazing how prominent he's become. And now this new film, which is coming out tomorrow, is launching the entire new phase of Marvel. I have everything with Ant-Man, yeah, the MCU, exactly. We have his daughter, uh, who is going to be the new superhero stature. And yeah, like you said, if you guys read the comics or if you want to read the Ant-Man comics, just be aware. Uh, you know how when some people are like, oh, this character is so much like their version from the comics. Not not this. Hank Pym isn't really like Hank Pym in the comics. Janet's nothing like Janet in the comics. Hope isn't anything. Uh, Scott Lang, none of this is. They, they took these names and these characters and they said, yeah, we're going to do something else. And so if you, <laughs> for those who've read the comics, like... In the comics, Hank Pym is, he's like Reed Richards. He's this very scientific guy, and he's too smart for his own good. And he's the one that creates Ultron. He's the one that creates this, like, miniature prison, which I feel like, why didn't they do that in the movie? Why haven't we, like, because in the comics, they create, like, a a giant prisoner for supervillains. But with Pym technology, they shrink it down so they're able to save space and able to put these, like, really scary villains in these areas where they can't hurt people because they're physically like this. Don't put it past Kevin Feige. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Feige might put that into a future film. Right now, this movie, Quantum Realm, is setting up to not necessarily be like an Ant-Man movie from the looks of it. It's setting up to be, like you said, the beginning of Phase 5, which, do you know what Phase 5 is about? Because I... <laughs> I have no idea. It's about Kang. Like, Kang has become the new Thanos. Yeah. He's the big bad villain, right? Yeah. I don't know how far-reaching it is. Exactly. I don't know how far-reaching it is. If this is like, oh, Kang, the villain. Okay, is he going to show up anywhere? Is he going to have long-lasting impacts? Like, with the Infinity Stone saga, the movies were sprinkled to do with the Infinity Stones. Are they going to do something similar with this? Is Kang going to show up in the other movies? Like... How is he building up to the villain or like, hey, this is Kang and you'll see him again in five years in Avengers. Like, that's what's on my mind, because I, I know what like I get what they're trying to go for with Fate 5. But like, what exactly are they doing to build up to this villain? Because right now I'm not seeing it. So the amazing thing about Kang is in the comic books, he has so many different variations. And yeah. I know that we might be doing an episode in a couple weeks to just explain Kang because Kang is such a complex yes. character. <laughs> if you watch the Loki TV show finale, yeah, when he shows up and he gives this 13 minute brilliant soliloquy, he explains himself and you're still Actually, confused. Yeah. <laughs> My wife was very confused when she heard this. <laughs> he does this like 15 minutes exposition. And you're just like, okay, so there's a council of Kangs and they're one of them's going to be a bad guy later, maybe, but there's are there going to be good Kangs? Like, what's the... If you read the comics, you know where this is building up to the council of Kangs yes. and they're all coming together. Or if you watch the Earth's Mightiest Heroes TV show from a few years back, they have a whole Kang the Conqueror like arc too, so... Mm -hmm. A few of you might know, but for the most part, yeah, it, it's complicated. We're going to have to do a whole episode about that because really that is a, that's a whole <laughs> As far as Ant-Man goes, what's amazing is that the first Ant-Man was essentially a side character and it was just funny mm -hmm. and it was just kind of madcap and it was great. And then the second one was a little yeah. bit like the first, but then it ends with that twist in the end credits. And then now we're getting to this one. And all of a sudden, it's like watching an Avengers movie. It's like you have all yeah. of these, this incredible world that they're building. And it's not just Scott Lang on the streets of San Fran trying to be yeah. a dad. They've grown him in stature 
so much so that now this film is carrying so much and it's just it's an incredible journey for such a small character and you can look at it two ways you can look at it as like if you like the first movie that's gone. It's it's not happening. We're not doing heist movies anymore. The first movie was a very down to earth. It you they had a reference to the Falcon, who's now Captain America. You know the Avengers facility. It was a, it was a good mixed bag of different things. It wasn't the greatest movie, but it was funny and it did its job and was a good heist film. Great way to introduce the character of Ant Man, and then. He fought in Captain America Civil War, which was pretty much an Avengers movie where he showed off his giant man outfit and everything. And then he shows up in Ant-Man and the Wasp and he's like, they're doing like quantum stuff and then there's ghosts and it's not a heist movie. It's kind of like a reversed heist, like stealing from the guy, stealing from you kind of thing. It kind of lost a few people. Uh, It was a little over the place and it was funny. To be honest, I don't really remember or like... How do I say this? It's, it's one of those things where you just don't know what the movie's about. Like, right. if you're like, what's the themes of the movie? Right. I could tell you the movie. It didn't quite like, I saw it. I'm just like, okay, that was a movie. What was the message? What was the moral? What were they trying to tell us? What was this thing about? What adventures and character growth did he have? Uh, next question. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> and no, so it's sure. like, but in the third movie, and then he goes to Avengers Endgame and he does the same usual stuff. He's a joke character. He helps a little bit, you know, providing comedic relief, very down to earth, like the first movie. And then the, the third movie, like, hey, we're going to send them to the quantum realm and the the, the big villain is going to get introduced in the Ant-Man movie. And you're like, why Ant-Man? Like, I get quantum stuff. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it kind of feels like he's a secondary character in his own movies. Not to the Wasp, but just like, he's not the guy creating the pin particles. He's not the guy yeah. that's like creating the Ant-Man suit. He's not really doing anything. Yeah. And so it kind of feels like you're just throwing the like, hey, what if he did this? And you kind of just get to see Ant-Man. And lucky for all of us, Paul Rudd is wonderful. Agreed. He is a man that is endlessly never going to age. He's going to be 80 years old. He's going to still gonna look the same way he is now. And he's charming and he's funny. For sure. And I know a lot of people have different opinions about the rest of the cast. But when it comes to Paul Rudd, that man, I always joke and say, like, that guy's an Avenger, which officially now is this. I am in the Wasp Quantumania. He's an Avenger now. And he's the first thing is he's writing books and doing podcasts and like all this fun stuff. And I'm like. That's the character I relate to. That's the character that I love. Like, I'm not some brilliant engineer or anything, but the authenticity of Paul Rudd trying to be a father, or Scott Lang trying to be a father, doing what he needs to do, and just trying to live his life as a normal guy, that's why I fell in love with the character of Ant-Man. That's why he's one of my favorites. But I feel like they need to, like, the story needs to reflect that. Because sometimes when you're, like, having this big, grandiose adventure, you can kind of, like, get lost in the character. Because he is a fun character. He's good. That's one of the things that's great about the comic book is that every now and then you can read a comic book that's just a small story, well told, Mm self-contained. And it's just about what you just said. It's not about some grand adventure. It's not about saving the whole entire world. Now every Marvel film, the third act has to be if the hero doesn't win, then the entire world collapses upon itself, right? God, yeah. And Ant-Man was fun because it was just like you called it. It was a heist movie. And so there's something really fun about that. And sometimes you just, especially in the Marvel universe that you could have these smaller stories, that was really fun. But now everything has moved towards this apocalyptic ending. Yeah. Unless the Avenger is successful. And that's great for Endgame. You know, that's great for those films that are building up. But every single time it's like, okay, well, I have a little fatigue from that now, you know. 
Yeah, it's it's one of those like I forget it's uh, like the Incredibles. It's like when he's like, "You just you just cleaned up the city." I feel like a maid, like I come and like I just cleaned this place. Right. And I feel like that's how the Marvel shows and yeah. everything's like the end of the world. Miss Marvel, it was the end of the world. Moon Knight, it was the end of the world. Spider Man, end of the world. Doctor Strange, end of reality. Like every single movie, it's yes. about what the world could end. And it's like there's like forty of you guys now. Are you telling me that like the world was gonna end? 40 times and no one else got involved in this. And that's one reason I really like Black Panther. It was not the end of the world. It was a, a contained story with between Wakanda and the Talokans. Yes. Which is, I think, one of the reasons it is one of the best recent movies because it was like not this gigantic stakes. It was a very personal film. And I look, don't get me wrong. The world needs to be in danger. Don't, I get it. But not every single three months. It's, it gets tiresome. Yep. It gets a little silly because then you start wondering, where is everyone? I do think Marvel recognizes this, and that's why Marvel is kind of moving us out of the terrestrial Earth. Yeah. And they're moving us towards the quantum mm-hmm. realm, or they're moving us to Secret Wars. Even with Captain Marvel, they're moving us away from Earth and more towards different fights that are happening across the universe, right? And I think that's really smart on their part. Yeah, exactly. Um, that being said... What's interesting about the quantum realm is that it offers, at least in the comic books, what it's offered is an opportunity for time travel. It's it's offered an opportunity for resetting quite a few Mm -hmm. timelines and character lines. So it really gives, because we're at, this I believe is the 29th movie, might be the 30th movie, and it really gives an opportunity for Marvel to reset a lot of the characters that you might know. So, you know, Maybe Chris Evans comes back. Maybe Robert Downey Jr. comes back. Or maybe they just recast Iron Man and he comes from another realm, you know? And so it Mm -hmm. it really is a great opportunity for Marvel to go in different directions. Now, do we trust them enough to do it given their creative vision recently? I don't know. That's the problem. Doctor Strange and Spider-Man were both, hey, end of the reality kind of events. And I'm okay with that because in those contexts, it made sense. Maybe with Spider-Man, it was a little much, but in Doctor Strange, it made complete sense, right? But when it comes to MCU, yeah, I mean, we have to look at the slate that's coming next, right? What we do know is that we know after Ant-Man, we're going to get Guardians of the Galaxy, the third one, which they've always Mm -hmm. been outside of Earth, Yeah, for instance. Yeah, and that's the last one, too. Yes. Uh, Secret Invasion we're going to get, which is a TV show. The Marvels is going to be on July 28th. We're going to get the Marvels, and that's on the big screen. Uh, And that's going to bring back Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. And then a lot of television shows. But what they've done really, really well is they've included these television shows in their greater universe. For instance, as we've discussed, if you really want to understand Ant-Man Quantumania, you need to watch Loki, the television show. At least watch that finale to understand what the heck's going on. So they really do incorporate these things. And all of these phases are moving us towards Avengers Kang Dynasty and Avengers Secret Wars. So all of these things will culminate in those two films, which is really exciting, but those are two to three years away each. And the thing is too, is like, look, and to give credit where credit is due, I think they are going different directions sometimes. Um, one of the big problems with having something that changes the world, like in the Eternals, the end of the movie, there's a gigantic celestial that's like made of marble in the middle of the ocean, and no one's talking about it, and no one brings it up. And yet, supposedly, and this isn't uh, rumors and stuff, but supposedly Captain America New World Order, so Captain America 4, and the Thunderbolts movie are going to be back-to-back sequels. So it's going to be, uh, they're going to be two parts of the same movie. 
So uh, it's supposed to be about that place. There's supposed to be, apparently when she turned the Celestial into something, it created like vibranium or um, adamantium or something. So Captain America New World Order is going to discuss one part of the world viewing it, and then Thunderbolts is going to discuss another part of the world viewing that same event. To which I say... Why isn't that your entire phase? Why isn't that your phase five? Why isn't this big event that happening? Why are we just getting those two movies back to back? This could be a whole thing. Why are we jumping into the multiverse when we can have this very personal story? Which, for those of you that have been following Kevin Feige and Marvel for years, that was what it was supposed to be. Kevin Feige said, look, we did our big thing. Our next one is going to be a more personal story. Down to earth. We're not having a big event. And then a few years later, he's like, we're going into the, the multiverse. <laughs> so I'm excited. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But man, there's there's this Ant-Man is showing the good and the bad of the MCU. Mm-hmm. And it really is a terrific movie. This is going to be the moment, I think, when people go, does the MCU know what it's doing anymore? Especially now that the DC is on track to like start their universe. This is going to be the movie that's going to determine a lot. And it kind of feels bad for Ant-Man because the previous Ant-Man movies didn't do that good. I think they're two of the lowest um, critical and financial successes Marvel's ever done. So I don't know if this movie is going to hold up in the long run. I really hope it does. I really like the casting crew. I like the story and everything. But yeah. um, and- I think this movie is definitely going to be the point where we we look back and go, "What did is this the beginning of the end for Marvel? Or they know what they're doing. It's a good point. I, I really do wonder if this is that turning point for them. Uh, I will say anything Jonathan Majors is in, I'm going to watch it. I think he's super charismatic Absolutely. and so incredibly <laughs> talented. And so I'm so glad that when Marvel created a character that has thousands of different variations and gives us an opportunity to watch the same character played in so many different ways on screen that they chose this performer to do it. I think that's so exciting. And I think it's going to be great. Uh, because as great as Josh Brolin was as Thanos, we only saw him in bits and pieces until we got to the Avengers movies. We're going to see Jonathan Majors yeah. a lot in these movies, and that's really exciting to me that the next three or four years he's going to reinvent what this villain can be. So I'm excited yeah. about this movie, but I totally agree with you. I'm hesitant. I'm a little concerned yeah. that this cautious. is going to be... Cautious is the right word. That this is going to be something, the wrong turn for the Marvel Universe. But I'm still going to go see it. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I hope I'm wrong. Like I want to just that I hope I'm wrong. I'm hope like people are like see Ant Man the you know the the Quantumania and all this stuff at Avengers King Dynasty is the greatest movie ever made. And I can look back and go, thank God I was wrong. Thank God that this is not the end. That Marvel was like scattered brain and was like oh, Agatha gets a show. How does that connect to Kang? Right. You know so that's how I feel like it is. I hope I'm wrong, but we'll see. It, it's definitely using these things like. Ant-Man is a very wonderful character. I'm very excited for him. Maybe not the best character to start Phase 5 with. Then again, looking back, Black Widow started Phase 4, and um, that kind of set the the groundwork for Phase 4, which was scattered. uh, Why are these movies happening at this time? What is going on? Which is how every... Like I said, that's how I feel about Phase 4. I loved it, but it felt like uh, like a... wild, weird dream that could not be kept under control. Yeah, they didn't have a compelling vision for that one. Where the prior ones, you yes. could see, they they knew what the end, where the beginning was, and they knew where the end was, and everything fit into that journey. Uh, phase four, it was just like, let's try this, let's try this, and not great. 
So thank you so much, Carlos, for coming on. I appreciate you coming on. I know we talked about this a bit, but I got to say, there's so much to talk about when it comes to Marvel. There's so much to talk about when it comes to the Ant-Man movie. Yeah. We're discussing it again. We'll be reviewing the movie even further next week, um, and especially in the newsletter, so keep an eye out for that. If you want a full, detailed review of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, be sure to follow for the newsletter. I'll be going deep diving into that, the good, the bad, and everything that you're going to want to know when you go into it. Going into this weekend, if you need something to binge, I got you. Here are three shows that I think you're going to enjoy. Starting off with You. You Season 4, Part 1. It's five episodes of the ten total episodes. They released it all at once, and look... Is this show a little cringy? Is this show a little silly? Does it have ridiculous premises and dialogues and ridiculous situations? Yes, it has not changed over the four seasons. It is ridiculous. And for those of you that don't know, You is a TV show on Netflix. It is about a serial killer and um, a lot of its internal monologue kind of stuff. It's about this killer that he falls in love with women and he proceeds to stalk them and chase them. And it's kind of a game of cat and mouse. And each season is about usually a different person he's falling in love with. And because it's a serial killer show on Netflix, you know what ends with uh, the other person dying. And so he moves on from that girl to another girl. And like I said, it's you don't watch this show because you're like, oh, what an, what an, what a, you know, what a wonderful character. He's so, no, he's a creep. The actor plays it like a creep. He is so good at it. He's a terrible person and a character. But that's why you kind of watch it because you're like, ugh. Ah, like and yet these women beautiful women fall in love with this guy and you're like why does this keep happening why do these beautiful women fall for this guy that's completely like unhinged ridiculous the kind of guy that you see on the street and go oh that guy's that guy kills people and in this instance you'd be correct so the the first five episodes for you are out now if you like watching stuff if you want to put something on the back if you want something interesting a little sexy a little violent this is show for you that's a pun. You get it? Uh, <laughs> up next is Physical 100. I know, Physical 100, what is it? It is a Korean competitive show on Netflix. I gotta say, it is so wonderful. If you're like me and you love Ninja Warrior, if you look Ultimate Beastmaster, if you like competitive shows where people are going into it and fighting, and you don't like too much of like the setup and the drama, this is a show for you. They do have like this funny thing where they like repeat a scene where the characters are like, oh! Oh, oh, from different camera angles. But other than that, the competition is so damn cool. It's a hundred people. Um, all of them are Korean, except for I think there's two white guys and one black guy. But they're all Korean. It takes place in Korea. It's not a drama. It is not stage. It is competitors wrestling each other, fighting, doing uh, obstacles. In one of the most recent episodes, without spoiling too much, they had to push a three-ton boat across sand. It's the craziest thing. If you're really into the human spectacle and interesting people, it's a fun show. It's it's just entertaining. How can I say? It's a good show to catch up on. And I always feel when you're watching competitive shows, you feel like, I should work out more. And I think this is definitely one of those shows where you're like, that guy's thighs are bigger than my torso. I should do some sit-ups. <laughs> And finally, so we did the we did the, the more drama, silly horror stuff. We're, we did the, the you know the competitor stuff. Now we're gonna get into the best. What is the most popular show on streaming today? It's The Last of Us. Now, I'm not gonna go too much into this. Okay, The Last of Us is based on an award-winning game series. They adapted it. The creator of the game came on to adapt the game into a show. If you're not watching this, 
You need to watch this. If you're on, if you're ever on like, oh, I don't really know, watch it. Just watch episode one. It's going to hook you. It is a show that cares about storytelling. It's a show that cares about its characters. It's not overtly violent. If you like The Walking Dead, but you're like, oh, The Walking Dead was a little too gratuitous violence for me, this is a show for you. They really pull it back. And if you're a fan of The Walking Dead, this is a show you need to watch. This is replacing it. This is the one that's stepping to it. This is the one that's filling the void until, you know, more Walking Dead shows come out, which I will be talking about and keeping track of. I gotta say, it is a great show. It's a fun show. I'm gonna be diving more into it next episode. So please, if you don't want to get spoiled, you need to catch up on this show. It's up to episode five. Episode six is coming out this weekend. There's only 10 episodes. Really, really, really cannot recommend this show enough. And did I mention Pedro Pascal, the daddy himself, is the main character? The internet's daddy, Pedro Pascal, is playing. You like The Mandalorian? You want the Mandalorian in a zombie apocalypse? Boom. It's, it's That's the last of us. It's, it's the Mandalorian in a zombie apocalypse. Pedro Pascal does... Um, I <laughs> Just watch the show. I, I want to talk more about it, but you got to wait. You got to wait until next week, okay? Because we're going to have some good discussions on it. I've played the games. I've read the book. Just watch the show so next week I won't be spoiling it. And if you want to watch these shows, check our show notes. We're going to have links to all the shows in there. So you don't worry about it. You didn't have to write them down. I got you covered. We'll be right back with The Vault. Hey, and welcome to the all-time segment, or as we like to call it, The Vault. Every episode, I put something in the vault so that we can preserve a piece of art, movie, a book, a graphic novel, etc. And so today, to put something in the vault with me is Carlos. What do you put in the vault today, Carlos? You know, since we were talking about Ant-Man. Ant-Man was originally developed by the one, the only, the great Edgar Wright. Yeah. <laughs> Marvel came to him and they said, what do you want to do for us? And he said, I want to do Ant-Man. And that's why Ant-Man got made. Mm -hmm. He ended up leaving the project, the first movie. He wrote a lot of it, but it's a lot of Edgar Wright's influence. Yeah. Having said that, I'm going to put the Cornetto trilogy in. The Cornetto trilogy, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World's End. All three movies, all linked by this British ice cream uh, that you see a rapper in all three of them. I, for me, they are absolutely brilliant. They are what what I love about them is that they are films that are mocking a certain type of genre or a certain type of film, and then they become the best possible version of that type of genre and that type of film. So Shaun of the Dead is mocking zombie movies, and then it becomes the best zombie movie you've ever seen. Hot Fuzz is making fun of buddy cop <laughs> movies from the 90s, and then it becomes the very best buddy cop movie you've ever seen. I love these films. I love Edgar Wright. I think he's endlessly creative. I love the way he films comedy. I'm a big fan. Cornetto Trilogy, throwing it in the vault. Matt, what do you got for the vault today? So for me, I'm going to put Scream, the Scream franchise in the vault. I love it. Really, when you talk about, like you said, reinventing a franchise, reinventing a genre is not something that's easy to come by. When you say action movies, oh, okay, well, there's some good action movies. There's tired, but there's rare times in history where a movie will come in and it'll completely redefine an entire genre. It will reawaken. It's like The Walking Dead. It completely reinvented and reinvigorated zombies. So for me, when it comes to horror movies, just 
period. Horror movies, slashers, the entire genre of horror, that scream. That movie is so damn good. And for horror fans, I know for me, that means so much. So for me, Scream's going in it. And yes, because I am Latino and I got to make everything about Latinos. Yes, the most recent Scream movies, it's going to be six and I think uh, five and six, right? Most recent two. The main characters are two Latinas, uh, Jenna Ortega, if you guys know from West Side. She's in Scream. I feel like a lot of people forget that. And she, <laughs> and minor spoiler, she has some gnarly scenes in that movie. And now they're going to New York where the two main characters are coming back. The two Latinas are coming back. And Tony Revolori, which a lot of people go, that guy's not Indian? No, he's Latino. He's Tony Revolori, who plays Flash Thompson in the Spider-Man franchise. He's Latino. He just announced this week that he's going to be in the Scream movie. So that's three Latinos in a Scream movie, which is... Oh, I love it. I love it so much when we get representation and we're not reduced to being the, the oh, we, we can only, you can only have Latinos in a horror movie when the movie is about Latinos. This movie does it. The franchise is great. I love it so much. I'm sorry, ranted so much about Scream, but damn, that is one of the best horror franchises of all time. One of the best horror movies ever. One of the best horror openings ever. Some of the best kills. It's going in the vault and it's going to stay there. That's this week's vault. Do you think they're deserving of the all-time great status? Tell me at the Storytime Guy on Twitter, and we'll be right back. Alright everyone, I have to go shrink myself down so I can avoid some LA traffic. That's the show this week. Thank you to Carlos for jumping on the mic and sharing his thoughts. Thank you to everyone who listened. Come back next Thursday for more content. And as always, follow me across the socials at the Storytime Guy. Lastly, go subscribe to my newsletter, which you can find the link to in the show notes. There's a new newsletter every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Have a magical day, everyone. The Storytime Guy podcast is a production of Sonora Media. It is produced by Carlos Arenado, mixed and engineered by Santiago Sierra.